I'm here with a good friend Mordechai Taub, one of the most brilliant political analysts in the country. And we're here post-election. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is tasked with putting together a government to see if he can remain Prime Minister. It's likely that he will, but the question is what kind of coalition will he put together. Mordechai, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Yehuda. So, Mordechai, um, before we get into the uh, coalition we should expect Netanyahu to put together, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about you, who you are, what's your story, where do you come from? Because the, the truth is, I think that you know, all of us, especially the type of people that we have on our show, are, are people who are living great stories and who are, uh, whose stories can easily be made into to pretty decent movies. So I think it's important for people listening to know who they're hearing from. Well, I'm in Israel for approximately 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, from the very first moment, uh, I had political involvement. Uh -huh. Because I come from a political background in the States. Uh, in the States, I worked on Capitol Hill for a few years, uh, ran some campaigns. And it was only natural when I came over here that I moved into the same system. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you find it to be the same system? No, of course not. Right. Did you expect it to be the same system? I expected it to be much more similar uh -huh. because every, um, everything looked the same. And from the outside. From the outside. It, Israel presents itself to the world as a Western country. Definitely. Yeah. And not only that, it makes a significant effort um, in its promotions for tourism and business to promote itself um, as Western and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. Um, the behavior, the norms. The culture, the prioritization the of values. Are clearly um, not even business at the highest level is not totally business. Mm -hmm. It's much more personal mm -hmm. um, than it would be in the West. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were expecting, but as a Jew coming from the United States. Right, these people sounded like me and looked like me at t t to a certain level. Uh -huh. And you uh, thought you were moving to a Western country. Um, and that you're going to enter into a Western political system that you could operate in. Right, and I, I'm operating quite well in uh -huh. this system, but it's a totally different game. Mm -hmm. The experience helped tremendously, um, but many people from many countries have been quite successful, whether they're immigrants from the United States or from the former Soviet Union, have been quite successful in this political system. Here? In Israel. Um, Clearly, it's not something that it's easy for those who are still in the West to understand mm -hmm. because they seem to want to put it in, in bo Western boxes. Right. I think even during elections, a lot of American Jews and even the, you know, even, uh, the American media related to our elections here as kind of a two-party race. Right, which was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. and, and they... And they also see it as more linear on a right-left level. Mm -hmm. And people were not voting. A large part of the population were not making their decisions on a right-left. They weren't saying, I want this party, or maybe something a little more to the left. Mm -hmm. Or I want this party, or perhaps another party, something a little more to the right. Very often, from the outside, the two choices that individuals were making seem diametrically opposite ends mm -hmm. of the political systems. Right. Because if it were to be linear. Li right. If it were to be linear. Correct. And because 
it's very cultural. Mm -hmm. um, so people vote here as tribes. Tribes, and, and the most close tribe in this past election, the tribe that will not leave its parties more than any other is what we would call secular Ashkenazim. They won't leave their parties. They won't leave the tribe. That's why we still have a Labour Party. That's why we have um, a, a large blue and white. Uh -huh. um, they, will, they will need to vote for something that is identified with the left. Even if you consider on the outward Haredim, mm -hmm. the ultra-Orthodox looked like they're separate, the, the ultra-Orthodox vote was much more spread out mm -hmm. along the political system than was the Ashkenazi Chilonim, more than our secular Ashkenazim, mm -hmm. okay? In other words, a majority voted for the Haredi party, but there were significant votes in the Likud mm -hmm. and other parties where you, uh, the large majority of secular Ashkenazim voted for blue and white. Of a certain age demographic, or it doesn't matter? I clearly, clearly age is relevant. Mm -hmm. Clearly... What I'm saying applies much more to the older generation. Oh, to people even not older, but even over 30, over 35, mm -hmm. and it's true for the younger ones, but much less so. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, and I see this as a positive phenomena, that people at a younger age are are more open to various options. Um, when I see somebody um, who wears uh, a kippa voting for all different sorts of party, even if it's not my point of view, I, I find that as a positive phenomena, um, God doesn't belong to any particular party, and somebody shouldn't feel because he has a particular cultural or religious identity that he's obligated to vote for a particular party. So you, so you oppose people voting as tribes here? You, you um, I opposed? I, I wouldn't tell somebody they're not allowed to. No, I meaning, would, I meaning would, I, you're critical of that sociocultural phenomenon in Israel, right. that people vote as, according to sociocultural associations, more than platforms or policies. More than their public or private interests, mm -hmm. I think would be a lot healthier. To say that I'm opposed, I w I'm not opposed. They're allowed to make that choice. No, it's not just, no, but the question is critical. Do you feel Israel would... I mean, I don't know if I'm opposed. The truth is I think that people here vote their tribe, and I think that's okay, because their tribes represent a value, value system and a vision for what Israel should be. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I've been here almost 18 years. I haven't always voted my tribe, um, but uh, I often do. And it's because at the end of the day, I'm part of a certain sociocultural sector of Israeli society that has a certain vision for what the country should be, a certain understanding of what the historical significance of the Jewish people coming back to life is, and I try to strengthen that. But it's good that you're doing so, but I'm, I'm concerned when people do that mm -hmm. automatically without thought, mm -hmm. they really don't even know the particular view uh -huh. of the leadership of, of a particular list that they're voting for, mm -hmm. and it could be against their personal views. Mm -hmm. That's where it becomes very complex. You had a phenomena of a party that existed for a few months, the Blue and White Party, yeah. and people were unable to identify the leadership's position on many social and foreign policy issues. Right. A million people voted for them. And that most people couldn't tell their position on many issues. Right, but they were the antithesis to Bibi Netanyahu, and, and I think it was sociocultural, and you could see this in their campaign, they were, what Blue and White was really selling, was 1950s Zionist elitism. Exactly. 
That's what they were selling. They were selling the age of the generals and the mapainikim, um, the, 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 like, the labor party of the 1950s, 60s. That's what they were selling. And that's why the party was called Blue and White. Even in their, the posters I saw in Jerusalem, they would have these posters, Am Yisrael Chai, with the, you know, the generals and the Yilapid, of course. And next to the yellow and black, the, the yellow and black poster of the Kahanis team together surrounding Bibi Netanyahu. And it, you're either going to get... I, I mean, look, I look at this in, in very almost uh, mystical terms. I would identify Zionism with the tribe of Yosef. Like, Yosef is the force of Zionism, and it's like the part of Am Yisrael that resembles what we share in common with the rest of mankind, specifically the dominant powers of any generation, and is kind of focused on the material well-being of the Jewish people, you know, economy, security, etc. That's kind of what Zionism was all about, and there's something, I would also argue that Zionism succeeded in 1967, and since then the Jewish people have been ready for something new. But the, uh, the people you're talking about, those who feel very entitled, who feel like they established the country, that, and they want the country to be an outpost of Western civilization in the Middle East, kind of like a Rhodesia in, in the Middle East. We saw how that worked out. Right, no, no, but, but that's what they're looking At the end of the day, that's what these people are looking for, the type of people who are able to vote for a party like Blue and White merely on sociocultural uh, for sociocultural reasons uh, without caring what the actual policies are is because that's the Israel that they want. They want Israel to be what we're taught Israel was in the 1950s and early 60s. Uh, whether it was that or not is a, is a different conversation, but that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that kind of Israel. And, um, and at the end of the day, that's who they attracted. They attracted people who would like to go back to that and who are afraid of the cultural shifts taking place. You know, because at the end of the day, this is a group that is constantly shrinking. Right. Significant. Yeah. Significantly. And, and, and that's why the fact that younger voters were more spread out, mm -hmm. I saw as a positive phenomena mm -hmm. that... that younger voters were able to cross tribal lines and vote based on ideology or simply or their interests their personal interests and, and the country's interests what they believe the role of the government should be mm -hmm. um, what the government should support financially mm -hmm. um, the, I, th I think these are positive reasons um, well, well, well let me ask you a question the Zahut party Moshe Feiglin you know obviously on election day, they did not do as well as the polls projected. And they certain didn't, certainly didn't do as well as a lot of people, including Moshe Feiglin, expected. But do you think they had uh, success educationally? Do you think they changed the conversation? Sure. What, 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 and it's no secret that I'm not a big admirer mm -hmm. of Feiglin. Um, but clearly, his, one of the reasons he can't run the same election again if he chooses to in a few years, because many a number of his popular ideas are being will be adopted, adopted by the others by the other party. Like marijuana, right? Like if you expect that now to. to I don't know it's, if it's going to be to the extent that he said, right. but clearly medical marijuana is going to be a reality. Well, um, well, it's it's a reality now, but it's just highly controlled. Right, it'll be a real reality. It's not a real reality. It's massive bureaucracy. There's massive bureaucracy uh -huh. involved. Clearly, a number of his more popular ideas mm -hmm. will be adopted by other parties. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he spoke to a serious problem young people have 
um, with bureaucracy, mm -hmm. with those will wishing to open a small business. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, there are problems. It's interesting, he came from what you might call a mystical end when he entered politics, and he moved to being a very practical mm -hmm. um, end. I guess meeting people perhaps makes someone more open and realize there are real practical problems that our people are dealing with every day and that the political system in theory should be answering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was personally turned off by the libertarianism. I don't think that could work in a society like ours. I don't think it should work. I think that it's it, it's ironic to me because he called the party Zahut. You know, it's the Zahut party, the identity party, that is pushing, uh, the, not just pushing a, a platform, but I think the center of its message was a message that I consider to be antithetical to our identity. If, you know, I come from the perspective that Israel, the Jewish people, is really one giant spiritual organism that shines into this world through millions of bodies in space and time called Jews, that we really are one. And if we really are one, we should have a, an economic system and uh, uh, we should organize our society in such a way that A, is an expression of our identity. Our and a particular agenda. An expression of our identity that, we, that, that expresses our oneness and conditions us psychologically to recognize our oneness. And I think a system. I want to further, though. Okay. To the political end mm -hmm. of, of, of his failure. There was a massive move homeward just before the election. Okay. Not only for, for those who potentially voted for him, for a number of parties who were able to attract their traditional voters. Their base. They were their able base. to bring back their base. Basically, Kud did it in an amazing fashion. Shas did it in an amazing fashion. So these floating voters, mm -hmm. the floating voters, some of them were by Fagelin and some other places, and by Bennett, they came home. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much as these people lost, it's the other people won. Netanyahu was able to speak to people who had voted for Likud a few times mm -hmm. and say why they should give Likud another chance, even though they were considering something else. Right. Arya Derry was able to vote to attract people who had voted for Shas in the past mm -hmm. and who were considering other options because they were dissatisfied with certain um, goings on in Shas. He was able to convince them to come home to Shas. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, the newer parties had a tremendous problem with his Kahlo, who didn't have a base. He had one previous election. Mm -hmm. He didn't have these voters who had voted him for three, four elections. Um, so, how, how did Kahlo slide in? While a guy like Bennett couldn't. First of all, Kaplan had a previous election, so we had a, he had people who had ten, uh, ten seats worth of votes mm -hmm. who voted for him last time, who who even though some were dissatisfied, he he was able to convince enough of them to give him another chance. Mm -hmm. I think he also ran a great campaign. I think it was a campaign that speaks to a lot of people, using Begin's image and kind of going the kind of nationalist slash socially responsible route. I think that speaks to a lot of Israelis. Uh, I think it speaks to a lot of traditional Likud voters who are uh, turned off by a lot of Netanyahu's, you know, more heartless economic policies. But clearly Netanyahu did quite well. No, Netanyahu did quite well because he went after Bennett. I, mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's a video game we used to play when I was a kid called Mortal Kombat. And it was like a fighting game between like two characters. And when one character, one player is, you know, 
I hope most listeners understand this game, but you, know, I you're sure of, don't. you don't. You're of a different generation. So when one character is about to kill the other, when you've already gotten to the point where the where the opponent is almost like dead, the game says finish him, and that's when you do a fatality move. And everybody has their own. Every character has their own unique, you know colorful fatality move so I saw what Netanyahu did to Bennett as like a fatality move in the last couple days before the election he started going right talking about annexation um, speaking obviously to the floating voters who would likely could to be more nationalist who, who would vote for Netanyahu if only they could trust him on the land of Israel? And what's interesting, Bennett knew it was coming. Bennett and knew it was coming. This was not a surprise, a tactical secret move at the last minute. And, and one of the stories, there are many real stories that were not addressed uh-huh. in this campaign. One of them that I found, perhaps when you're a political insider and, and you're looking at the tactics all the time, something stands out to you that doesn't speak to the public. Uh-huh. Netanyahu had a very close associate. Uh-huh. His fellow Shlomo Filber. Okay. okay. Very, very close, who, who was, was with him and took care of the most important matters. Filber became a state's witness against Netanyahu. Uh-huh. Now, put aside whether you believe Netanyahu did something wrong, if you believe Filber told the truth or not, put that issue. Clearly, the prime minister saw that, and it was a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Bennett took this fellow Filber, mm-hmm. and he made him a, his chief political strategist. That was quite offensive to Netanyahu. Uh-huh. In addition, Filber wasn't this political strategist. It's not as if he was this great strategist who moved from one camp to another. Uh-huh. It, was, it was a very offensive move. To Netanyahu. Okay. And, and from a political end, I was surprised that Bennett did it. Mm-hmm. It was like poking in Netanyahu's face and, and saying, I'm taking this guy who, who betrayed you. Now, well, there's been, there's been bad blood between Bennett and Netanyahu for years. Right. But you would think at this time where he was concerned that Netanyahu would move directly against him, there wouldn't be further incitement. <laughs> Well, I think Bennett's real weakness was his arrogance, which isn't uncommon among these guys. I mean, the type of people we're talking about are people who, who all share that weakness, I think, for the most part. But, uh, but, but Bennett, Bennett seemed to be convinced he had a voter base he didn't. Uh, he seemed convinced that when leaving the Bayt UD, he was taking the majority of voters with him. And at the beginning, it might have appeared that way because Bayt UD still had no leadership. I think once it became clear what BYTUD was doing, teaming up with the parties it teamed up with, choosing the leader that it chose. Um, it was able to galvanize its base. I think something else occurred. Bennett bet on the fact that um, as Netanyahu was likely heading toward indictments, mm-hmm. there would be these national Likud voters who wanted to vote Likud, would feel uncomfortable with Netanyahu and would be looking for another option. Mm-hmm. And he was gambling that there would be enough people who would choose him as that other option. Mm-hmm. And what, he didn't, what didn't happen is that even as the legal process moved forward, and at this moment Netanyahu seems to be moving closer to an indictment, there has not been this great abandonment of Netanyahu in the Likud. Mm-hmm. No, he's... He, he, uh no. Uh, so what should we expect now? We're looking now. 
right now we're looking towards Netanyahu building a coalition. He's been tasked by our president, Ruby Rivlin, to establish a coalition. Obviously, Netanyahu has to first turn to his natural partners, that is uh, Moshe Kachlon, Rav uh, Rafi Peretz, uh, Betzela Smotrich, uh, Shas Arideri, the, uh, the Ashkenazi Haredim, Gimel, um, the, the Avigdor Lieberman, like these are his natural partners, quote unquote, that he's expected to form a coalition with. And if he forms a coalition with these guys, it will be a very narrow coalition in terms of having a, what? 65. 65 seat majority. What are the chances he's really going to move in that direction, in your opinion, versus forming a government with Benny Gantz and the Blue and White Party? Or either the entire Blue and White Coalition or pieces of it? Because remember, that's three parties. Clearly, that 65 coalition mm -hmm. is the coalition that's on its way to happening. Um, most of the parties there are in their ideal situation. How so? Um, Shas was on its way down. Mm -hmm. People weren't, were concerned that it might not meet the minimum threshold of four. Mm -hmm. They were able to bring back their base of eight. Mm -hmm. That's a, a great achievement. You see eight as their base. Eight is eight, the base no, of Shas. They could go more, but, but, but they, that's a great achievement. They want to show now what they can do with that eight. Mm -hmm. Derry also had two great wins that the press doesn't speak of. Two of his great political Nemesis are, are not in. Ali Yishai. And Rabbi Salam uh -huh. ran with Faglin. Uh -huh. He was concerned about both of these individuals being in the Knesset. Neither of them are there. Why do you think he's so concerned? What does Derry have to fear from Ali Yishai or, or Rabbi Amsalam? He views them as speaking to certain Shas voters, mm -hmm. of breaking off different parts of what it looks like a homogeneous group on the outside, but reality is its own unique coalition. Mm -hmm. And these individuals could potentially break off little pieces of that coalition. Mm -hmm. If they're not in the Knesset, they cannot do so. So it's Derry's agenda to keep them out as long as he's ruling Shas. Sure. And, if he, and he won't invite them back to Shas either? No. No, and he won't let them He back wants to punish them. Yes. Yes, he, he wants the message out. That, that somebody who... It's political suicide to mess with Derry. Um, yes. Yeah. But he wants, he wants it clear um, to people. He's, he's been in the game for years, but he's not that old. Mm -hmm. He plans on being there for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. um, he wants loyalty. And so him, and if you go down the list of every coalition partner... Uh, most of them are in their best possible scenario. Kachlon just missed the minimum threshold by 14,000 votes. Mm -hmm. And he gets two, four seats, two ministries, including the finance ministry. You think he'll get it? Right. With any other political constellation, he's not going to do that well. Mm -hmm. If the one white comes in, he's not going to be finance minister. Mm -hmm. There's no room for him. The same thing of Lieberman. Five seats... He's getting two ministries, including the defense ministry. You think he'll get the defense yeah. ministry? Any, any other coalition, he doesn't get the defense ministry. What about United Right? They're in such turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this in a bad way, no, right? right? It, this happened to them. That for them, the best thing they can do now... Just go in. Is go in, be together, work on, on speaking, because they do not re represent a significant part of the population. 
they got five seats. Over half of them were t- from two places, were Khanistim, who were moved off the list, <laughs> and people who were offended by the Supreme Court removing Ben-Ari. Mm-hmm. There were people who wouldn't have voted for them, and they did because they were offended by the removal of Ben-Ari. Well, no, I don't think that's fair to say. I think that they, they certainly have a base. There's certainly no, a network of Yeshivot and communities that not, identify them as their party. They that base. They're not representative of that base. They are only a small, small sector. Mm-hmm. Smudridge and Parrots so? are only a small very small part of the national religious public. No, I don't mean just him. I mean the combination of Peretz and Yogev and Smotrich and uh, Struk, all of them together, no, repre- they you don't, don't think so? No, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. You have to remember, Bennett missed by a thousand votes to mm-hmm. getting into the international. No, I think, I think Bennett... Bennett represented a significant amount of the national no, I think, vote. Yeah, what we'll, we'll, we'll call Dati Light. They simply were, were, were the traditional, I would call the traditional Mavdal voted, voted, voted for Bennett. You think so? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, so we're saying that they're not, in, they're not in a strong position right now, but do you right. think that... And, and, and if, they, if they remain in, that's why I'm, I'm saying it's, this government is their interest. If they receive ministries, they work well, mm-hmm. they interact positive with the public, they can build themselves up until the they next want, election. They want education and justice. Do you think they'll get that? No. What do you think they can get? Education. Okay, just education. Right. That, they can get something else. Fast per affairs? Yeah, sure. Right. But justice, Netanyahu um, uh, wants in the Likud. He wants justice in the Likud. Okay, and, you, and so what's Netanyahu's interest? Because from the way I look at it, there's, there's two interests I see for Netanyahu to go with Benny Gantz. The first is I think it's what Donald Trump wants. I think Donald Trump has a plan that he plans to hit us with um, once his coalition is solidified. And I think that plan is likely going to be a two-state plan. And I think that uh, Trump understands, he's not a stupid man, he understands that the easiest way to push that through is if Netanyahu has coalition partners who are not ideologically opposed, number one. Number two, I think by Netanyahu going with Benny Gantz, and forming such a, a wide coalition. And of course, he might take Lieberman also, or Shas also, or somebody else also. Um, he always has the ability to go elsewhere, meaning Netanyahu cannot be held hostage by Gantz. He can always say, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to form a narrow nationalist coalition. Whereas if he starts with a narrow nationalist coalition, he's held hostage. I don't think so. You don't think so? What? Okay. So what? I'm not, it's not that clear to me. Mm-hmm as it is to you, what the Trump plan is. Mm-hmm. But going with your theory, that it entails some significant compromises, Netanyahu only then would have the option of going with Gantz. Only then could Gantz justify mm-hmm. saying, I didn't plan on going with Netanyahu, but here is this wonderful plan mm-hmm. that the American administration is coming in. Netanyahu can't pass it with his current coalition, to save the peace mm-hmm. for the country, I will now go with Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say the opposite is true. Forming the current natural government today gives Netanyahu more options in the future mm-hmm. than going with Gantz does now. Meaning once, and, and Netanyahu doesn't mind going through the coalition negotiations again. Sure. Like meaning he's okay forming a nationalist coalition. Trump drops a plan on us that the, many of his coalition partners don't like. He's okay entering into negotiations with, with Gantz and Lapid. We have seen in the past 
people are in a coalition, whether it was under the Rabin government or under the expulsions of Gush Katif under Sharon, when people are in, even if a plan comes that they are in theory against, if people are in the government, there is a reason for them to justify staying in, mm-hmm. even if the plan doesn't meet their exact criteria. Uh-huh. Okay, so I guess we'll see. Either way, Mordechai Taub, political analyst, thank you so much for being with us. Great. And I look forward to speaking further. At-